Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hur. Today is Monday, October 28th. We are recapping week nine in the ACC. A crazy week once again in the ACC Coastal. You know, things just cannot be predicted in this conference. You know, the, the Hokies made out pretty well and didn't even play a game. We got Notre Dame getting absolutely destroyed by Michigan that we'll talk about and what that means for Virginia Tech briefly. But first off, Tim, what's uh, what's going on? You know, I'm sitting here drinking my coffee. We're recording in the morning uh, as opposed to the evening, which is what we typically do. And, you know, that adds a whole new dynamic to this podcast. I was, uh, you know, setting my alarm last night, getting ready to wake up because we've got a wedding later in the day. So it's a big day. Um, And it was one of those nights where I needed to get sleep. And as soon as I hit that eight hour mark where I wasn't going to get eight hours, you know, the head started kicking in saying, you need to get some sleep. You need to get some sleep. You're going to be tired at this wedding. Um, And then things started happening that kept waking me up. Audrey would wake me up. The dog had a bad dream inside of her cage. And it sounded like she got up to take off sprinting into the door that was closed. Yeah. Um, You know, so that was terrifying. And then the printer uh, started printing and doing maintenance on its own at uh, 2 a.m. So that was awesome. We have a small printer in our bedroom. Uh, Kristen uses that as her office on occasion. Um, And yeah, just started printing. So uh, that was fun. That was a nice little surprise at uh, 2 a.m. in the morning. But, you know, I was joking with her at night saying, you know, what are the most disturbing things that that printer could print out right now to make you not sleep for the rest of the night? You know, just fires off a random picture of Uncle Jesse from Full House. Maybe a little phrase, I am watching. I don't know, man. That can get really scary. It sounds It sounds like a it. terrible plot for a really bad Halloween movie. Right? It's right? like you're, That's what you're I was like wallowing around in bed and your printer just sends you some kind of cryptic message and it's, you know, some weird former TV character with some weird phrase <laughs> and the letters are all different sizes. Right, yeah, like obviously because serial killers, instead of writing in their own hand, uh, they pull the the letters out from different magazines. You know, that's always terrifying too when they do that. Um, I don't know if that's a real life thing or if that's just something that TV shows came up with. Um, But I don't know, there's also something really funny about the idea of a printer just printing out something nonsensical at 2 a.m., you know, going over there and reading it and being like, I can't sleep for the rest of the night. Now. Yeah, I can't. I can't do this. Yeah, well, I Burger, mean, Burger King chicken nuggets aren't that bad. Like, what? What? Yeah, that that would be a terrifying message because <laughs> very because they're because awful. the Burger King King is absolutely horrendous. Oh my god! Now, see, that's um, that's nightmare fuel right there. Because yeah. if it was his face, that's I'd one of those. I don't know if you have this phobia, but I, I notice it at fall at the nighttime i like to open a window get a little fall breeze going in the bedroom you know that's always nice get a little fresh air i can try that you're not like gonna do that September. in the summer uh in october it's right. like 32 degrees right. it's done at night it's done so. here we got a nice like um it's called october to december where you can open the window and not die oh, okay um so that's nice you guys don't have that but my one of my phobias is there's i'm gonna go to do it one time and there's going to be a face staring back at me from the blackness. And if it was the Burger King King, I may not recover. 
You know, just just an observation from my lens. You seem to be a guy with a lot of phobias. Um, very astute observation, <laughs> Justin. That is correct. Okay. I'm well. only scared of irrational things, though. Spiders, rip currents, you know, bears. <laughs> Come on, don't scare okay. me. But a, a printer printing nonsensical pictures or nonsensical phrases at 2 a.m. The Burger King King staring at me from the pitch black darkness. All things that, that scare me very much. Yeah, no, for sure. Speaking of chicken nuggets, we also have to tell uh, tell the Chatter and Grits family here that they can get the Whataburger spicy ketchup on Amazon. Yeah, that that is a big breaking news story right there. So if you've never had the spicy ketchup from Whataburger, go ahead. Go over to Amazon right now. Pause this episode. Throw it in your cart. Order it. Wait for it to get there. Eat it. Turn this episode back on and thank us. That is how it needs to to go down because it's that good i have been mainlining that ketchup and it's so it already like here's my theory it already tastes better than heinz ketchup regardless of the spicy i think it's it's a better ketchup yeah but the addition of the jalapeno puree because i was looking on the ingredients to see what actually makes it spicy is i can't even put it to words how good that stuff is no it's it's fantastic you know it's uh you can pretty much go on anything. I use it on, I use it like sriracha, basically. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, over here at the Coachiola household, we had a, uh, a birthday party yesterday. So it looks like a uh, Sesame Street bomb went off in my house. <laughs> awesome. Um, a lot of balloons, a lot of uh, wall stickers, a lot of uh, everything. Then um, Any Cookie Monster cookies left? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. plenty of those. I actually had had one this morning for breakfast. I was gonna say, 6 nice power breakfast. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. So it was it was a good day, busy day, and uh, today's the wife's birthday. So it just keeps the fun just keeps on coming. Happy birthday, Rebecca! All right, Tim. Well, let's uh, let's jump into it. You know, uh, the coastal coastal. I think that's just yeah. pretty much what <laughs> we sure uh, what we can say. You know. The Hokies now have the best overall record in the Coastal at 5-2. and 2-2 two. Two and two in conference. And we all saw that coming three weeks ago. Yeah, three weeks ago it was looking like Virginia Tech was going to be done. You know, it was like, you know, is this the year that they're going to lose to UVA? I don't know. Everybody's freaking out. You know, Fuente has to be fired if you ask anybody in the fan base. Now they're sitting at 5-2, and two, half game back of first place. They control their own destiny, basically. It's all up to them going forward. So, you know, we saw a game in which UVA uh, pretty much got manhandled by Louisville in the second half. Uh, they were up 14-7 to at halftime, and, and Louisville just came out and looked like they wanted it more. Um, you know, we had Miami take down Pitt, which is a game that we both called, and we yep. felt like Miami's defense would kind of prevail there, and they got a little late surge from Jaron Williams. So that was big. The Pitt offense finally let down the defense. And then just an absolutely unbelievable ending in Chapel Hill. As Oh, my gosh. As oh. really both teams kind of made huge mistakes because, you know, you got, <laughs> you know, Sam Howell driving the team down, you know, picks up a big fourth and four conversion. They get inside the five-yard line. Next play, Javante Williams gets upended, fumbles the football. Duke takes it 90-plus yards to the other side and then calls one of the worst goal line plays you will ever see, uh, at least from ever. an execution standpoint. I mean, ever. 
I mean, even from even from a schematic and, and kind of feeling out the football game standpoint, that was a bad, bad call. Um, you had four shots at the end zone with 18 seconds left. Keep that in your bag of tricks for when you actually need it. First and goal from the one-and-a-half-yard line was not that time. Not that time, and it was a jump pass. I mean, it's a jump pass on the goal line from a running back. Who's right. The, he was running towards the line of scrimmage. Like, it was the yeah. weirdest play I've ever seen. And then North Carolina comes out and says, yeah, we were expecting it. Like, they, oh, had seen get that, out of town. they had seen that film on tape, I guess, somewhere and felt like it was coming. And it's hard to yeah. say that they didn't think that because I think I saw well, they were one ready. Duke receiver standing in the back of the end zone with, like, five North Carolina defenders around him. <laughs> right. Yeah, the entire secondary and linebacking core of UNC stayed home. They did not bite on that run. Um, and, you know, my thing is, if you're Cutcliffe, come on. You don't put the game in a running back's hands for a throw unless you have well, to. Well, like, listen, like, we, we saw it happen with Pitt a few weeks ago. The, yeah, w- whatever, the Philadelphia Miracle or something, or I can't remember what they called it. Um, But... Or the Philly special. That's what it was. But it yeah, was, the Philly it was special. a beautifully executed play. And you had the receiver who I think took the ball and was running behind the line of scrimmage. And then Kenny Pickett came wide open in the end zone. He hits him. He's wide open. There was nobody open on that play. And I mean, to have your <laughs> running back running towards the line of scrimmage and then to throw a jump pass. I mean, really to see... If you saw David Cutcliffe's face, I mean, if if he was at a bigger program, like it unfortunately would just be, you know, a meme for the rest of the rest of his time as a head coach and probably beyond sure. because basically his his mouth was just wide open. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a shit believe it. So f- for the uninitiated, the, the idea of a jump pass and and really uh, Dan Mullen and Tim Tebow uh, that was their bread and butter at his time in Florida. And it worked great because, you know, Tebow on the goal line was a threat. You couldn't stop him. Um, so teams had to send their entire defense towards that goal line to stop Tim Tebow. And what happens is that allows a tight end or a wide receiver to sneak behind the defensive line and just post up on the back of the end zone. And Tebow goes towards the goal line like he's running a quarterback power. And then before he gets past that line of scrimmage, he jumps and lofts the ball in the air towards the back of the end zone, almost blindly uh, to the wide receiver or tight end. So this version of this horrible play call was a handoff to the running back. There's your first red flag. Do not have your running back throw a pass on the goal line unless you really, really, really know that running back's going to deliver a good ball. Here's what didn't happen. One, defense didn't bite at all. I mean, those linebackers all jumped in unison as he ran towards the goal line, which I kind of echoes the thought that maybe they did know it was coming. Two, the the running back just hummed a Randy Johnson slider at, at Surratt's chest. I mean, he didn't even execute a jump pass in the correct manner. He hardly jumped. Um, so th- that alone, I don't know how they ever saw this working, but it was just a train wreck from Jump Street. Yeah, no, it was it was unreal. So I mean, let's let's wrap up talking about this game. UNC twenty, Duke seventeen. You know, one thing I wanted to say is the Surratt brothers; those guys are legit Good football players. I tell you, man, like 
Chasserat to make the move from quarterback to linebacker and to, you know, be the player that he is. Like, I, I'm i going to guess he's probably North Carolina's leading tackler. He seems is to that be. Un, that's that's got to be unprecedented, yeah. right? The move from quarterback to linebacker and actually having success. Yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's clear that that was a very good decision for him uh, for, you know, this year and, you know, beyond potentially. Um, if he if he gets a look at the NFL, but and I mean Sage on you know Wake Forest like didn't play this week, uh, no game for Wake, but I mean he's just racking up 150 yards and multiple touchdowns a game. It feels like so. Yeah, Sage is just out there looking like young Larry Fitzgerald. That's fine. Yeah, you know, you know just pretty casual. pretty easy. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, another guy who's really coming on is Daz Newsom, and uh, mm-hmm. he was uh, he had a very chippy game last week against uh, Virginia Tech. I don't know if that's because his brother played there, and you know, if and he committed to the Hokies and decommitted, right. and so, you know, a lot of those guys were in that same recruiting class. I'm sure that all led to some of that. And uh, but this week, I mean, I tell you, he had an incredible catch, reaching behind a defender, you know, coming down with it. Also added the touchdown. You know, Sam Howell in this game only had 10 completions, but went for over 227 yards. So they were big plays when they were completing the pass. But just another game right. for North Carolina, man, where they just they they have to take it down to the wire and they have to make you sweat. It would be very difficult to be a North Carolina fan right now, just from a uh, emotional standpoint. I'd be a wreck uh, <laughs> if that's how Virginia Tech was playing. And I kind of expect Virginia Tech to play similar going forward the rest of the year. Um, yeah, but you know, very entertaining nonetheless. Uh, I thought this was a pretty good game overall. But uh, you know, if you're Duke, you got to be pretty sick with the way that, that game ended. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, especially against you know your your probably second largest rival in football. I think NC State's a bigger football rivalry to UNC than Duke is. However, that's still a big game. They hadn't beat Duke in four years. Um, you know, to see UNC carting that victory bell off towards their sidelines after giving the the game away in the manner that they did that's demoralizing and you know now now cuts got his uh you know his work cut out for him closing out the season they're gonna have to pick back up and and uh, you know that's gonna be a tough move psychologically after just literally handing the game on a on a golden platter to unc in the manner that they did uh, let's jump over to UVA Louisville, but first, just want to remind you where to subscribe. Again, we're Chowdering Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. You know, you can listen to us basically anywhere you listen to a podcast, uh, but Apple Podcasts and Spotify seem to be the fave. So, uh, if this is your first time here, go ahead, hit that subscribe button, maybe leave us a review, maybe maybe leave us five stars just because you know you're feeling friendly and you want to uh you know you want to be a fan of the show and you want us to like you so that would be great but uh tim louisville pretty much dominates uva in the second half indeed ends up winning 28 21 uva got a late score did kick an onside uh kick did recover it did have a shot at the end zone at the end of the game didn't matter but what I did not expect was the UVA offense to struggle like it did against a rather porous Louisville defense. Yeah. Um, but they did. And, you know, Bryce Perkins is a guy who, you know, got a lot of hype coming into the season. The issue with Bryce Perkins right now, I don't think is it's all Bryce Perkins. I think it's there's just nobody else on that 
that offense that scares any defense that it's going up against. Like you've got guys yeah. like maybe a Joe Reed um, who can, you know, make plays on the outside. You know, Tua LaPapa is more of a goal line back. He's not really going to do anything from, you know, the 20 to the 20. You know, not very dynamic. Not a dynamic, uh, not a dynamic runner. And, you know, you got a couple of other guys uh, like Kasai's the boy who, you know, might be their leading receiver this year. But, you know, nobody is really striking fear into into any defense uh, for for Virginia offensively other than Perkins. And Perkins just hasn't been very good. I mean, you know, if you if you force him to stand back in the pocket and make throws, he's going to struggle. And I mean. If you look at his season so far, he's thrown for 1,800 yards, 62% completion percentage, which isn't bad. No, it's good. But nine touchdowns and eight picks. Not great. And and rushing the football has been a struggle for him because he's been sacked so many times. So, you know, one of the biggest parts of his game, like if you look at last year, he had 212 attempts for 923 yards, nine touchdowns. This year, he's at 119 attempts for 275. So he was averaging 4.4 yards per carry last year. He's averaging 2.3 this year. Right. So clearly, you know, teams have figured out how to keep him in the pocket, how to keep him contained. On top of it, he's been sacked quite a bit. And, you know, yesterday was no different. I think Louisville had four sacks. Um and multiple tackles for a loss. I think six tackles for a loss. Like they were in the backfield, right. they were wreaking havoc, and uh, you know UVA really struggled there in the second half. Again, they got the late touchdown, uh, but that was it from a scoring standpoint. So, uh, what did what did you see from this game that really kind of stood out to you? Well, one, I think the UVA offensive line is just terrible, but that's something we we've known for a while. Um, and that's going to make it hard. The biggest thing for me and UVA's biggest issue, um, their defense is, is really good. Uh, clearly, it's not their defense. Um, you know, they're going to miss Bryce Hall. But to me, the scheming on offense is just really bad. So I was watching the game and I was thinking, I feel a little bad for Perkins because I think in the right scheme, he could be such a dangerous quarterback. Um, and, and it's kind of funny. I think in a scheme like Virginia Tech's, he would be an insanely dangerous quarterback. One that actually schemes the run to the quarterback, I think, in an effective way. Um, with mixing in the read option, quarterback powers, quarterback draws, and the way that Cornelson does, I think is actually, and I'm not a Cornelson fan, quite the opposite. No way. But I will really? say he does that, yeah, surprise, but he does that really well. Um, he, there, there's no doubt that he can get production out of a running quarterback. The opposite is the case for UVA. I think what Perkins gets on the ground is due to broken plays, due to his offensive line not being able to block. And I actually think they're harming him this year, trying to make him more of a pocket passer than I think is natural for him. If you go back to uh, NC State as an example, Tom O'Brien and staff tried to do this to Russell Wilson his second or third year. I can't remember. I think it might have been his junior year. Um at NC State, and it hurt him a little bit. Now, Russell was one of those generational talents to where he could get by and he could be a pocket passer, but he was much better rolling out, much more uh, fluent of a passer when he was on the run. And you see UVA and what they're doing to Perkins and kind of their offense stagnating. It's, it's twofold. One, I think the scheming is terrible to take advantage of what Perkins is actually good at. 
Um, and I think he could be even more effective, as I just mentioned, on the ground game than he's shown. Um, and, and two, they just don't have playmakers on the edge or in the backfield. Um, the only one really that looks dynamic uh, it, it, to me and that wide receiving core um, is going to be, and he's blanking on his name, Joe. Last Joe name. Reed. Joe Reed. There you go. Joe Reed. And, and Joe Reed pops when you see him on tape. He looks like a shifty wide receiver. Hassis Dubois is good, but he's not very dynamic. Um, and I think that's the issue. A UVA's offense is just pretty stagnant outside of the quarterback position. I don't see it changing. Um, I just think there's a lack of talent outside of quarterback at the skill position, and, and you can only make up for that for so long. Yeah, and I mean, if you, if you look at last season, you know, they had a workhorse back in Jordan Ellis who had over mm-hmm. 1,000 yards rushing, 10 touchdowns. You know, Perkins almost had 1,000. That's just they're nowhere close to that this year. You know, they had Zacchaeus no. at rod receiver who had over a thousand yards receiving. Like they're just not going to get to those totals this year. Um, and it's just, the offense just feels a little stale. And I mean, you know, Joe Reed, he, he feels like this big play potential guy, but he's, he's not really tearing it up on a yards per catch average in this offense. You know, he actually leads the team with receptions at 42, but it's only mm-hmm. averaging 9.5 yards per catch. Yeah, which is strange because you see him and he's, he's got big play he's potential. One of the few that that has the shiftiness and the speed sure. that you would expect out of a wide receiver that could make those deep throws and and what that you know whether I mean kind of what it tells you is what they're trying to do is get him the ball as quick as possible and then have him right. do the rest. So he's he's getting the ball like you know at or just above the the line of scrimmage and trying to go downfield and make some plays. So. You know, yeah. Well, they're trying to turn him into a yak daddy, and maybe he's just a guy that really needs to be a vertical threat because really that's what they're missing. When you talk to uh, to Mike Brewer about you know what Virginia Tech really needed to lean into, which is trying to identify a vertical threat that can take the top off of a defense, UVA is is mired in trying to identify that person, and I don't think he's on the roster at this point. No, he's definitely not. I think that's very clear. And, uh, you know, with the thing with Bryce Perkins, you know, again, I think you're uh, exactly right. If uh, if he's in a scheme similar to Virginia Tech's, I think it would fit his skill set really well. Um, but he's not. And, uh, you know, everybody was on the Virginia train this year coming into the season. They were everybody's darling pick, you know, They've not lived up to expectations. They've lost three of four. They're now three and two in the conference. Louisville on the opposite end, five and three, three and two in conference. Pretty unbelievable. You know, the job that Satterfield has done, this coaching staff, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we say it every week, uh, but as as it goes on, like these guys play extremely hard. And you can see it, and that that is the first indication of a very well coached football team and you know, ta- the talent-wise, you know, outside of Javion Hawkins, I'm not sure how talented this team is, Javion and Tutu Atwell, but, you know, Mikael Cunningham has been pretty solid for them. He seems to be the guy who's really kind of taken over a quarterback. You know, 6 for 10 in this game, 126. Did have uh, one big play to Tutu Atwell for 77 yards, where Atwell was pretty much the guy who, you know, made uh, made most of those yards happen. But, you know, Javion Hawkins, once again, I'm telling you, this guy is just kind of under under the radar, so I want to say his name every sing, single week. You know, 28 mm-hmm. carries for 136 yards, two touchdowns. That's against a very good UVA defensive front. 
So that shouldn't be understated with the performance that that he laid out. Um, just a very solid back. You know, the UVA defense, I mean, I thought they played okay in this one. I mean, they had four sacks. They had nine tackles for loss. It really wasn't a defensive performance. Uh, it was really kind of on, on the offense once again. But, you know, Louisville is a strong rushing team. They had 227 yards in this game. Average about five yards per carry. So, you know, they, they played their game. UVA on the opposite end, they only attempted 26 rushes. 13 yeah. of those from Bryce Perkins. 78 yards. Yeah, You know, that's 78 yards total, not for Bryce Perkins. That's just, that's not, that's just not going to cut it. We've been saying nope. it week in and week out. And Mendenhall's a guy who clearly is refusing to do anything except run this offense through Bryce Perkins. And he's a guy who looked a little bit banged up yesterday at times. You know, it's it's going to be a, a tough uh, a tough November for UVA if, if this pace keeps up. You know, they've got UNC on the road next week. They've got Georgia Tech and Liberty, which is kind of a reprieve. And then they have Virginia Tech. So, you know, they're down into the final four-game stretch. You know, that North Carolina game is extremely important. Oh, huge. And, uh, you know, I don't think anybody thinks that they're going to lose to Georgia Tech. So they only have three more coastal games. You know, they just need to they need to try to find a way to win. Uh, that North Carolina game, I'll definitely be, uh, be interested to see what happens there. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, pretty disappointing for UVA overall. Um, but at the same time, I don't think we're surprised when, you know, no. we've been kind of talking about this offense as a one trick pony since July and we haven't seen anybody else step up or, you know, come to Bryce Perkins rescue. So good, uh, good game for Louisville. Good game for Satterfield. Future's looking bright there. And, uh, there's still a lot of things to figure out for the old Cavaliers as, uh, as we head into November. Yeah, wholly, unsurpri- wholly unsurprising is mainly what I take away from that. I mean, none of this shocked me. None of this shocked us. It's the issues we saw coming that are plaguing this UVA team. And I'm honestly surprised that the entire UVA fan base um, was as gung-ho about the season as they were because these were glaring error or issues that I didn't think um, were going to be able to be solved. And I thought they were pretty apparent. And, you know, also the media. You know, jumped all over UVA, um, you know, got this groundswell of support from, you know, being the favorite in the Coastal. And, um, you know, a team with an offense like that in the Coastal, I, I just, I can't see it. So, again, unsurprising. And honestly, um, yeah, Louisville winning that game, uh, fairly expected. Uh, they have good athletes. They're not a great team, but they have good athletes. Yeah, and... You know, I, I think, you know, you mentioned UVA fans like, yeah, they probably were excited coming into the season because they actually had hope for once um, and expectations. But, you know, they'll probably they're going to get at least two more wins. So they're going to have seven wins. They're going to beat Georgia oh, Tech. Yeah. They're going to beat Liberty. You know, what can you do against North Carolina and Virginia Tech, especially that Virginia Tech game? So if you're a UVA yeah, the North fan, Carolina games, a must win. Yeah, now. it became a must win. So. If you finish the season at seven wins in your UVA, I mean, that's a huge disappointment. So, you know, we'll uh, we'll see what happens, uh, but still plenty of football to be played. Let's jump sure. over to Miami and Pitt. So this game was pretty ugly offensively, kind of like we expected. Um, you know, my big takeaway from this one was, you know, one, 
you know, Diaz had gone with Nikosi Perry as the starter and I guess named Perry the starter heading into this game over Jaron Williams. And then Jaron Williams was called upon late in the game to try to bring Miami back to win uh, down 12 to 10. And he did that. So uh, a big game for Jaron Williams. Again, like we were not big fans of Nikosi Perry coming into the season. He's had his moments. He had a very impressive performance against Virginia Tech, but it was a game in which, you know, all they had to do was throw the football. Um, and he put up some big numbers. But since then, he just hasn't looked the part, really. Um, my biggest question is, where is Tate Martell? Like, yeah. the fact that he hasn't gotten any looks over the last few weeks is, I'd say, concerning for his future as quarterback. You know, maybe they're in full transition mode to him as wide receiver. I mean, we're not seeing him a lot on the field at all. Um, so I just kind of wonder what's going on there. But Jaron Williams, it, I, I'd, I'd have to think he's the guy going forward. You know, Miami offensively, 154 yards passing, 54 yards rushing, only averaged two yards per carry. You know, they didn't have DJ Dallas in this game. Cameron Harris was the lead back, had 16 carries for 60 yards and a score. You know, defensively, they recovered a fumble, you know, one, uh, one forced turnover and did have four sacks and seven tackles for a loss. If you look at Pitt on the other side, Again, offensively, they were much better than Miami in this game. They had 176 yards rushing. They had about 146 yards passing. The big thing with Pitt is they turned the ball over three times in the first six minutes, which, yeah. you know, you can't do. It didn't kill them because, you know, it was, I don't know, what, 10 to 6 at halftime? Um, an ugly football game is just, what it was. Just an ugly football game. You know, what kind of surprised me was the Pitt defense. They only got, they weren't into the backfield much. You know, they had two sacks. They had two, two and a half tackles for loss. Um, but at the end of the day, they did their job. They had one, I guess, bad drive, I guess we could say. The final drive that, you know, Miami drove mm -hmm. down the field and scored. But if you're Kenny Pickett and company, this is like we've been saying, like, Pitt's been better. Kenny Pickett's been better, but he hasn't been great. And No, and, and this was more the version of Kenny Pickett I was expecting to see in just about every Correct. game, uh, which is, you know, the, the main problem with Kenny Pickett is his lack of ability to go downfield. At least that's what we kind of saw uh, coming into the season. He's proven us wrong to this point. Um, but if you're throwing 4.6 yards a pass, that's not going to get it done. No, and I mean— I, I think we kind of expected them to struggle against this defense, the Miami D, but sure. You know, uh, I thought it was a really important game for Miami from a uh, from a mental standpoint, uh, from a team standpoint. So, you know, that's their second win in the coastal or in the conference, I should say. So they're two and three, four and four overall. They've got Florida State next week, so uh, gives them a little bit of momentum heading in there. I mean, most likely their uh, coastal chances are 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 done. Uh, just with the teams that they've lost to and the teams ahead of them. Um, for Pitt, you know, this is a pretty pretty bad loss for them. Uh, you know, yeah. at home, you know, they had a chance to move into first place solely in the Coastal Division, you know, couldn't take care of business. Um, and their schedule is going to get a little bit more challenging as as, uh, as they head into November. So, you know, they've obviously got uh, Virginia Tech coming up uh, second to last week of the season. Um, and they also have North Carolina um, right before them. And so they, uh, they're they on the road at Georgia Tech next week. 
So you expect them to bounce back. They close the season with Boston College. So, you know, can they go two and two through that mark? If so, they're not going to win the Coastal. They have to somehow figure out how to go maybe even undefeated to have a to have a realistic shot. So I don't know. Any uh, any final thoughts for you on this one? No, I mean it look it's kind of expected. We knew Pitt would struggle against this Miami defense. Um it it, it kind of you know it, it's frustrating. I think if you're a Pitt fan, you really had a, your, your destiny in your own hands. You looked like the best team in the coastal coming into this and this Miami team was just not one you really could afford to struggle against and this should have been an easy win um given that it was at home so super frustrating for them and you know the coastal is just straight up wacky this year um and i'm thinking we're looking at a three loss team winning the coastal That's so what it feels like um yeah so they're not out of it but man that this they had the chance to take the coastal by the scruff of the neck didn't do it um and whenever that happens that is super frustrating so narduzzi and the company move on uh, hope for better days, but you know the the game against Miami was just just ugly. So not a lot of uh, not a lot of hope moving forward. But at least that should be the most uh, I'd say maybe not the best, but the most athletically gifted defense as far as team speed goes that they'll face for the rest of the year. Yeah, and I mean when your defense holds a team to two hundred eight yards and you lose, you know that's pretty tough to come back from. Oh, it's a gut punch <laughs> mentally. As a defense, so yeah. it's like, what else can we do, you know, to give our team a chance to win? So, sure. Uh, let's jump over to some of the more meaningless games uh, in the ACC. Not to uh, put a damper on what we're going to talk about, but Florida State thirty-five, Syracuse seventeen. Really, kind of the score was closer than the game was. Uh, Florida State got up thirty-five-three in this one and uh cam Akers was was the star of the show had 144 yards on the ground had four touchdowns ran a lot of wildcat he was a wildcat yeah. quarterback in high school uh, so it was a you know easy uh easy fit for him i thought you know it made the uh i thought i thought it worked well um and you know the the syracuse defense has has been bad syracuse hasn't won a game in a month they're winless in the acc you know they're absolute train wreck right now. Three and five overall. Uh, Acres his fifth hundred yard rushing game of the season. He now has twelve rushing touchdowns on the year. Uh, they went with Alex Hornibrook to start the game, and uh, you know outside of three pass attempts, he he was the guy who uh, who led FSU for the entire game. So fifteen to twenty six for one ninety six. You know the. Uh, the Orange came into the game as the nation's leader in sacks allowed. Florida State had seven sacks. Yeah. So. Hey, at least they're consistent. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, bad game. DeVito still just doesn't look like a guy that can make that offense dangerous enough uh, to take Syracuse anywhere this year. And obviously Syracuse has to have concerns going into next year, whether or not he's got a ceiling high enough to run that Dino Babers offense effectively. Um, because right now what we're seeing is an offense that really should be attacking, aggressive, and they just don't have the quarterback uh, who has that ability to give that to the offense. So now what you see is an offense that wants to be aggressive, that's designed to be aggressive, um, but is about as conservative as they come. And that's really, really been hurting Syracuse. On the other side, you know, Florida State defense really stepped up. Hamza Nasir, Nasir Aladin, that's a tough, uh, a tough name to say. 
uh, nine tackles, uh, also had a sack thrown in out of the DB spot. That was really nice for Florida State. Um, you know, Cam Akers continues to do what Cam Akers does. Honestly, he should probably have better stats than he does on the season. I'm not sure uh, how he's not a Heisman candidate. When you look at him, he just pops every time you watch. Um, such a talented guy. And Hornybrook kind of taking control of that quarterback position are, you know, the big stories for me. But Syracuse, again, just continue uh, uh, free-falling, not to steal a phrase from Tom Petty. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, the disappointing season continues, you know. And for Florida State, you know, they found a uh, different way to to move the ball offensively, which you got to give them credit for. Uh, We'll see if that continues next week against uh, Miami. So a big game. It's at home. Um, you know, you know, neither team is having a particularly great season. They're both four and four. Um, but you know, a win over the other, uh, is always kind of a nice little momentum boost. If Florida State can get by that one, you know, they, they go on the road to Boston college, a team that they have success against year in and year out. Uh, then they have Alabama state and then they finish the season with Florida. So, you know, if they beat Miami, you know, we're looking at seven wins most likely. Um, if they don't, you know, we're looking at six wins, maybe less, if they can beat Boston College on the road. So who who knows? I'm not going to say that they can for sure. Yeah. So <clears throat> that's just the way that the season has gone. But um, anyways, we're gonna we're gonna keep an eye on that. Let's move over to Clemson, Boston College, last game of the week, uh, and then we'll hit on Notre Dame a little bit. But Clemson 59, Boston College seven. So I think the uh, point spread was 34 and a half. We were a little Blew it bit out of the uh, water little bit hesitant on that one but you know Clemson did not disappoint Trevor Lawrence probably his best game of the season 16 and 19 275 three touchdowns um you know Chase Bryce got a little bit of action in this game Dennis Grossell had a horrible game three for 14 53 yards uh AJ Dillon David Bailey you know didn't even combine for over 100 yards and they had 29 carries between the two of them Bailey only had 10 carries for 16, but uh, just a tough game. I mean, Clemson obviously focused on stopping the run. That's what they did. Boston College as a team had 44 carries for 97 yards. Clemson as a team had 44 carries for 302 yards. So night and day difference. Um, I don't think anybody's surprised here. I mean, Travis Etienne ran it up and down the field, 16 carries for 109 and three scores. Clemson, Clemson, you know, maybe, uh, maybe winning by you know 52 points is is enough to to give the national media a little bit of a a little bit of a uh a way to maybe stop giving Clemson so much uh so much hassle right now <laughs> yeah it, they don't deserve it um you know they just keep going out there winning football games and that's what we saw again surprising again how bad they beat Boston College um but you know maybe not if we looked at the the periphery a little bit and said you know you got a backup quarterback playing Clemson um, there were a lot of red flags from BC from the jump, but, uh, you know, again, Dabo does what Dabo does and Clemson keeps rolling. Yeah. <clears throat> Clemson has Wofford next week. Um, so you remember the game against Charlotte earlier this year, they dressed like 115 players. I'd expect right. that that happens next week. Um, Absolutely. Then they got at NC state, which that's not looking promising, uh, for, for the Wolfpack. Wake Forest, which could be fun, probably won't be, and then at South Carolina. So uh, not a super strong way for Clemson to close out the year, although Wake is, you know, ranked. So I I will be watching that Wake game. 
Sure. Let's uh, before we close out. So Virginia Tech is on the road next week at Notre Dame, and uh, big game. We actually talked to Michael Brewer about this a little bit, and he mentioned specifically that he really hoped Notre Dame would win the game against Michigan, uh, so they wouldn't come after Virginia Tech and you know try to prove a point. Well, that didn't happen. <laughs> uh, they lost forty-five to fourteen. It was a very uh, wet game, a lot of rain. So it's hard to, you know, say, you know, did that have an effect? Obviously, uh, it played into Michigan really well if it did. Uh, Michigan is a team that likes to ground and pound, and they had 57 carries for over 300 yards. Notre Dame, on the other hand, obviously couldn't stop the Michigan rushing attack. You know, Hassan Haskins had 20 carries for 149. Notre Dame's rushing, they had 31 carries for 47 yards. So yeah. Michigan knew what they had to do. Ian Book had a really bad game, 8 for 25 for 73 yards. You know, neither team really lit it up uh, from an aerial standpoint. So, you know, I don't know what this means for, for the game next week, if anything, uh, just because the weather was such a uh, such a disaster. But Notre Dame, for sure, saw their playoff chances eliminated last night. Um, yeah. So they're now 5-2. and two. And uh, losses against Georgia and Michigan, who also both have losses. Michigan with multiple losses. So, big win for Har- Harbaugh and, and, and Michigan uh, as as they move forward and try to try to right the ship over there. You know, Notre Dame just a uh, just a disappointing game overall. I thought it was a game that Notre Dame would win. Thought it was a game they should win. You know, if it's raining, if it's snowing, if it's sleeting, if you're the better football team, you got to find a way to win. They didn't look like the better football team last night. And uh, I don't know what that means next week going forward. We'll find out. But Virginia Tech coming off a bye week. Uh, we'll have that preview for you a little bit later um, on uh, on Thursday this week. But, yeah, I don't know if you had any final, final comments about this one. Not really. Uh, the Notre Dame offense looked as tired as Jim Harbaugh's khakis. And, you know, again, you, you got to be better than that if you're Notre Dame. So we'll see whether they come in to prove a point or if this just breaks their back as far as, you know, was Notre Dame a college football playoffs or bus team? Um, that's always a possibility given the level at which they thought they were going to compete this year. Um, strange to see a team that gave Georgia all it could handle in Athens struggle the way that they struggled. I think that was as surprising to me. And if you're a Virginia Tech fan in Blacksburg, um, you know, or anywhere for that case. You're just doing the rain dance, hoping we can get a little precipitation in South Bend next week. Yeah, and I mean, it's, uh, again, you know, take it with a grain of salt. You can't judge a team um, from week to week considering on how they they play. At least when I say judge a team from week to week, I mean against how you're expected to play against them. Every game is unique. So uh, Virginia Tech Yeah, the transitive property doesn't really work. Uh, in college football. Yeah, and I think, you know, what what Virginia Tech will look at is Notre Dame really struggled to stop the run early in the season. Uh, they started getting better once they played Georgia. Last night, we saw the early season Notre Dame come out as far as that front seven goes. So, sure. um, you know, still going to be a challenge for Virginia Tech. I'd say athletically, Notre Dame is, is better overall at uh, and mm-hmm. uh, many positions, not to say every position, but you know how can uh, how can the Hokies match their talent is going to be uh, one of the things that I'm I'm looking to see. So we'll have that preview for you later in the week, Tim. Before we close out, any final words for our listeners? 
No, you know, that ACC coastal wheel of doom continues to spin and spin and spin. It makes for exciting football, um, but at the same time and in the same breath, this is probably the worst ACC coastal we've seen in a long, long time. Um, I don't know. So, so you know, I don't, don't know if it's the worst we've seen because in a long time, I think it is. I think I it is. I don't know. Cause I mean, it's just, it, I don't know if, if these teams are like terrible. I just think they're all equally mediocre. Well, here's the way I look at it. I think that pit team that won the division last year would actually act absolutely smoke every team in the coastal this year and i thought last year was one of the worst years in the acc coastal in a long here's time here's a question for you so sure outside of clemson is the acc coastal that much worse than the atlantic i think so, so i think so so how well because you got teams like wake forest that i think could would walk away with the division this year um you know, even teams like Florida State, I think if they were playing the coastal side of the conference, they would uh, they would have an easy time. Look at Louisville. Um, you're talking about a team that's going to finish middling on the ACC Atlantic. That would be in the title hunt. See, I I look at side. I look at Florida State and Louisville as coastal level teams because yeah, well that that's what I mean. They are, and that's that's sad because they're they're poor. I mean, they're not great teams. They're they're middling at best, but they are championship teams if they go over to the ACC Coastal, I don't think so. in my opinion. I don't think so. Now, I think Wake is, for sure. Well, absolutely, Wake is. But I is. think if you, no if you look at Wake, they're the second-best team in the ACC. Easy. And other than that, like Boston College, NC State, Syracuse, you know, th- those teams match up with what we're seeing in, you know, the bottom of the Coastal or and those mid-tier levels. So it's... The, yeah, the know, ACC so. as a whole I think, has been... I think those teams are better than Georgia Tech, for sure. Um, this, so when you're talking about matching those teams up, when you look at those Louisville's and those Florida States, those are championship teams in the ACC Coastal. I just and I disagree. Throwing, Florida, Florida State throwing, is the championship say, team nowhere. Pitt onto the ACC Atlantic, um, you know, I don't think they're anywhere near that top of that, that side. No, I think, so. you know, again, I think Wake Forest, if you had stuck them in the Coastal this year... Uh, they win. Oh, they'd walk no away. No doubt. They'd walk away. Uh, yeah. But any other team, like, I would not expect them to win the Coastal if they were in the Coastal. Yeah. Especially Florida State. They're not a championship team anywhere. Well, we'll certainly see. The ACC as a whole is, is very, very down. I actually... There's no questioning I that. I had this thought watching the SMU-Houston game on Thursday night. Is the American Athletic Conference top to bottom better than the ACC? Oh, it's close. It's pretty close. Without, without Clemson and Clemson saving grace, if this was a top 15 year for Clemson and not a potential national championship year for Clemson, oh, the ACC would be an absolute train wreck. Yeah. Um, you know, usually I'm a defender of the ACC and all the piling on in the national media about it not playing the best football. I think is really off the mark in most years. This year, it's absolutely spot on. Yeah, it's been. It's bad. almost impressive. The ineptitude is almost impressive. But like I said, it makes for great football watching, uh, which is you know what makes this whole thing fun. But um, you know when I when I'm talking about the ACC Coastal being down, I, I think the the best way I can describe that is if Pitt last year was in the Coastal this year, in my mind they would walk away with it. They really would. So and I thought last year the ACC Coastal was down. You're saying Pitt would walk away with the Coastal this year if they were last, last year's, year's team? Pitt. Yes. 
Yeah, maybe, maybe. With that running game and that defense, yeah, they'd walk away with it. Um, and so, you know, I think the Coastal's close to turning a corner. You know, there's been a lot of changes. Virginia Tech next year looks to have a strong team. And there's still teams in the Coastal that are improving. So where is Virginia Tech going to be in a, a few weeks? You know, it's it's hard to say, but right now as it stands, there's not a lot of hope uh, for the Coastal salvaging this season. So You know, the most Coastal thing that could ever happen is that whoever wins beats Clemson in the ACC. Wouldn't oh, that be man. just... The most Coastal? That would be the most ACC thing to ever yeah, happen. Yeah, most ACC and the most Coastal thing to ever happen. I, I swear, because like <laughs> this division, just from week to week, like... I mean, it's like almost cliche to say now and probably like outside of ACC country, nobody else is really paying attention because maybe it's not that interesting to them. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's it's entertaining football to say the least. So um, at least just to even see kind of where where teams are ending. But uh, that's our show for today. Uh, We are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. Thanks for listening. You can listen to our podcast in a variety of ways. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, ChowderAndGrits.com. Wherever you can find Chowder and Grits, you can find a way to listen. You can also follow us on Twitter at Chowder and Grits or Facebook, same name. Um, Tim, why don't you tell these fine people what they can do for us? Share our content, leave reviews. Five stars are appreciated. Tell everyone you know about our podcast. Uh, Let them know they're missing out on the best ACC and Coastal Division football talk that there is on the internets. So tell them, let them know. Uh, Follow us on Twitter. Follow our personal Twitters. You can find that on the Chowder and Grits uh, football page on Twitter. Follow the main account. Um, You know, again, the activity there has been nice. Uh, You know, also uh, something we should do, Justin, I think we should power rank the ACC Coastal teams on our next show. Let's do it. That would be an an effort in absolute futility and misery. Right now. But I want to do it. So let's see how far off we are. We'll go go in blind. I don't want to know what yours are. Nope. Um, and let's compare and notes you next episode because I think that's going to be fun to see who the heck do we think is on top of the ACC Coastal. Yeah, no, that sounds like a plan. And if you are catching up on episodes, be sure to tune in to last week's. We had Michael Brewer, uh, or actually, yeah, I guess it would be last week by now. We had Michael Brewer uh, in the bye week talk about what he's seen from uh, the Virginia Tech office from his eyes. So really good episode. Give that a listen. Uh, But we will go ahead and sign off, and we will see you guys on Thursday. See you guys later.